One of the things that we're doing here at Heights is that we are going through the Bible in five years period of time. And how we do that is we read a portion of scripture six days a week together as a congregation. You can get a schedule of our reading for the entire year uh, out on the information desk. You can also go to our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube backslash Heights Christian Church, where we go through those scriptures and have a little devotional that kind of goes with it on every single day of the week. It's just something that encourages you and us to get into the word and, and really dive in together. And then on Sundays, which that's what today is, right? Uh, On Sundays, we come together and we, in part or in whole, uh, break down what we've read during the week. And so right now we're in the book of Exodus. And um, we are at a very familiar passage of scripture. We're where the Ten Commandments are. How many of you got to read? We got to do chapters 20 through 24 this week. How many of you got to read this week? Awesome. Okay. So... 20 through 24. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Well, not too bad. How many of you know them in order? I'm not near as confident. A few of you guys raise your hand. Some of you guys are like, I don't know. Well, we'll be going, we'll be going through that today because, honestly, the Ten Commandments, where we're at today, is the basis for everything that we read throughout the week. Uh, every law that we have that's going to be in Exodus, that we'll read later in Deuteronomy, uh, every place that we read concerning the law has its basis in the Ten Commandments. And there's some interesting things about the Ten Commandments we're going to talk about. So today's sermon is called The Heart Behind the Law. I got into a conversation with my daughter Victoria, who just showed up uh, earlier this week. And uh, she had mentioned to me uh, about this idea of her being terrified ever to do drugs, okay? And her idea was, you know, you had laid down such a hard line concerning if you ever did drugs that it would be really, really bad. And, And she was like, I was so scared. That's what you said to me. What? What? Oh, my goodness. So what did you say to me? Oh, that's true too. I'm sorry. I got the wrong one. Okay, sweet. All right. So it's teenage pregnancy. I'm thinking back to my childhood because it was my dad who did drugs on me. So we're just going to let that one stand right there. But... Can we start again? I know that's what I feel like starting, but you know, this is, I wanted to get it right. You know, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's something that didn't happen, so I don't mind being corrected in real time. Um, but the truth of the matter is, she was scared to death of being pregnant and having premarital sex because of the fact that I had shared with her number one, I'd laid down a hard line. Number two, I'd scared her with what was going to happen with her body, right? Uh, about those things. I was raised in the same way. My dad did the same thing to me with drugs, seriously. And the idea was that he's like, I will disown you if you do drugs. And that type of fear, respect for such a hard line prevented me from ever desiring to want to do them. And other people did them around me. I was like, nope, nope, don't want to do it. Nope, not even interested in doing it. 
right? And, and what we're going to find out as we look at the Ten Commandments today is that in the Ten Commandments, what we have are restrictions that God places upon us as believers in Christ, but also with the people of Israel. And the reason why he does that is for the preservation of a relationship that he wants to have with them. See, the restriction that I got for drugs was not my relationship with my dad, but if I did drugs, it would have a profound impact toward the destruction of that relationship. My daughter not having premarital sex is not our relationship with one another, but rather, if she had, it would have profoundly affected our relationship with one another. And a lot of times, when we go back into the Old Testament and we look at the list of the Ten Commandments, we sometimes see them as a list of rules that need to be kept in order to have a relationship with God, when in reality what God is doing is saying, I'm wanting to preserve my relationship with my people, and to do so, these are the things that you are not to do, because by doing so, you will profoundly affect that relationship. And so that's what we find ourselves looking at in the Ten Commandments. So let's take a look at the Ten Commandments together in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be kind of taking a a pretty, not just deep dive, but one that affects you and I as we go through these things. And And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother. So that you may live long in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourselves and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. A couple of things that stand out in this passage is first this. You know, we quote the Ten Commandments all the time. I would say at least we're familiar with them, right? 
We're familiar with the idea of the Ten Commandments. How many of us have overlooked that the Ten Commandments weren't spoken to Moses up on the mountain in a cloud by himself where God is chiseling all this out? It was spoken to the people of Israel directly by God. How many of us overlooked that? Because that's what's happening right here. It's kind of a cool thing when you think that God has brought the people to the mountain. They've consecrated themselves. And God himself speaks to all the people. These ten commandments. I think that's, number one, cool, probably exceptionally terrifying. Right? If you watch the videos this week, I'm I'm thinking they're probably rethinking a little bit concerning their complaining along the way. It's like, oh, God speaking. I'm not, well, I don't know. I know, Moses, you speak to us. We can't handle this. It's terrifying to hear from the God whom, whom it is that we're serving. The second thing is that Moses tells the people exactly why the Ten Commandments are given the the basis for the rest of the law that's going to be meted out by God when Moses is up with him for 40 days and 40 nights. And he says there at the end in verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. In other words, it's a strong admonition against these things right here, these Ten Commandments that are going to affect their relationship with God and their relationship with others. This will tear those things down. Pay attention to them. The fear of God is there. It is not so that these Ten Commandments would become their relationship with God, but rather that these Ten Commandments are are there to protect their relationship with God. And this was understood by David, because if we look in the longest uh, chapter in all the Bible is about the Word of God. And it's one of my, honestly, it's one of my favorite Psalms. It's Psalm 119. And early on in the Psalm, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing these things down. And you can tell he gets it. He understands why the word of God is given to the people. And why the law is being handed out to the people of Israel. Starting in verse 9, he says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate upon your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. See, David gets it. This is why he's a man after God's own heart. He gets it. The law is there that I might not sin against God, that I would treasure the word of God, that I would walk righteously in his path, that I would do the things that God wants me to do and avoid the things that will destroy my relationship with God. Primarily these Ten Commandments. So let's take a look at them. 
Because I believe that if, if we look at the Ten Commandments, believe it or not, they're still applicable today. If we talked about these things and the destruction that it brings upon our relationship with God, our relationship with others, we're going to find that we are in the midst of a culture that wants to repudiate these Ten Commandments and think that they can still have a good relationship with God. It would be like me saying, no, Dad, guess what? I'm going to do drugs in the house, and you're going to just love me anyway. That would have destroyed our relationship. I can tell you that 100%. Because my dad was not someone who would fool around with the idea of drugs. And while my daughter knows there'd be forgiveness for her if she ever had walked into that before marriage, there would have been consequences for those circumstances that have brought a rift, not just between us, but between her and her Lord. Let's take a look at these together, starting in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. None. Zero. God is supposed to be number one. Do you think that still is in effect today? You think that would be important for God today? You think Jesus wants to be number one in your life? He is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, right? And yet, do we struggle with this idea of there being no other gods before Jesus? I would dare say we do in so many areas. Yes, None of us go down and necessarily bow down and worship at an altar of something that is, you know, of stone or clay or bronze pretending to be a god. We don't have those types of gods that are before us, but we have other gods that are before us. Things that are not necessarily bad, but they're good things that we put in the place of God. And when we do that, we've made a god out of them. Let me mention some good things. Your spouse your children, your job, your education, or your kid's education. And you know how to test whether or not those things are God's. If God takes those away from you, do you still worship God or do you blame him? Because guess what? Every single one of us living in this world are marked for death. You are, I am, it's going to happen. God may take your wife, may take your husband before you, may take your wife or husband and have to walk through a terrible disease or sickness. If in those moments where you should be relying upon God, you are instead blaming God for something he never promised, eternal life on this earth, in our fallen state, that where we're going to decay to death, if he becomes the one you are blaming rather than the one that you are turning to, you have made a God of whatever it is that you're losing. This is why David, when he's about to lose his child, goes and worships God for seven days and then the child dies. And, and people are like, why are you doing that? He said, well, because while he was still alive, I thought God might change his mind. So I'm here praying before the Lord. And so afterwards, he, he prays before the Lord. And afterwards, he goes and he washes himself and he worships God after his child has died. You know why? Because God was his God and his child was not. 
Did he love his child? Absolutely he did. But not above God. See, we have to have the right perspective. God does not want us to place anything before him, no matter how good those things may be. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Like I said earlier, none of us are fashioning, at least I hope not, stone statues or clay statues or bronze statues to bow down in our houses. But don't think we don't have idols. This is one of the biggest idols that have been created in American culture. It is estimated that teenagers, teenagers, so I'm talking to you teenagers, 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 you guys, young people, Nine hours a day. Nine hours a day on media. Adults, five hours a day. You're not off the hook. The invention of the smartphone has done a lot of things, but not necessarily made us smarter. We have all this mindless information at our fingertips. And how many of you, myself included, I'll include myself in this, have been known to sit down because you're tired, you have nothing else to do, and mindlessly scroll? How many of you have done it? Raise your hand. Oh, we're all infected, aren't we? And while we say we're not bowing down to God's before us, guess what we're doing when we're mindlessly scrolling? It looks a lot like bowing, doesn't it? I've got a challenge for you. It's, it's, it's a simple challenge. And it's for everybody in here, whether you're an adult or a youth. If you really want to get an eye on how this affects our relationship with God, I want you to choose one day, one day intentionally, And every time you go to your phone to scroll, to look up a mindless video, to play a two-minute game or whatever else our culture has us conditioned to do, that you catch yourself and you say, you know what? Instead, I'm spending this time reading the Word. I'm going to start in John. Just start in the Gospel of John. And I want you to do it for one day, just one day. And see how far in the Bible you get in that one day if you spent all of that spare time scrolling in the Word of God. And don't tell me that bowing down to an idol doesn't affect our relationship with God. You're doing the dishes and you watch a TV show on your tablet. My wife does that. Put on the Bible and listen to it instead. How far would you get in that one day? In that one day. And it will be a wake-up call for every single one of us to realize how badly we have bowed down to other gods. I'm guilty. I'm going to tell you I'm guilty. And this is not to say, look, every minute of our time, every second outside of that has only to do that. But come on, guys. 
If you find yourself after that one day having read through a big portion of the New Testament, you're going to know you've been cheating yourself. You're going to know that you've been cheating God. And you're going to know that your, your relationship with God has been affected by this little device. Next one. Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Almighty is above all. Why would you ever use his name in a manner that would be unworthy of him? And ironically, if you think about it, we don't do that for other gods. Nobody has a cuss word for Allah, right? Or his most famous prophet, Muhammad, right? Nobody has the teachings of Buddha and talks about Buddha in such a derogatory way, do they? Christian comedian Darren Streblo talking about it uh, in one of his comedy bits. He's like, you never hear that? Stub your toe, you go, go, Buddha! Buddha! Nobody does that. And yet, oh my. Or we use Jesus Christ and not in a way that is worthy of his name. Sometimes we add a middle initial that doesn't exist. You know what I'm talking about. Or we combine the name of God with a secular cuss word and put it together. This should never happen. That you and I as believers in Christ should never be so flippant with the name of God. How are we going to draw ourselves closer to God by using his name in that way? How are we going to convince others that we revere his name? You know, I would rather hear the F-bomb than somebody misusing God's name. Let me just tell you that. That is not a license for you to start using the F-bomb here in church. But what it is, is that you should be so offended by something like that, that they would use that name, that I can handle anything. I've even told youth this. Look, you can cut it because if I don't know if they have a relationship with Christ, I'm not holding them to a standard of Christ. But if they start saying God's name in vain, I'll say, look, I can handle anything else. But please do not use my Lord's name in a manner that is unworthy of him. If that's you... You need to stop. You're hurting your relationship with God every single time you do it. And you're hurting your witness to others. Verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals nor your alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Remember a couple weeks ago we started talking about the, the connection between a faithful attendance at church, between men and women who were involved in their church and the successfulness of their marriages. 
the happiness of their marriages. The happiest people in their marriages are the ones who honor God most. That's the research. That's not just me saying it. It backs up everything that we say. And yet, we seem to think that if we just choose to meet together when it's convenient for us, that somehow that won't affect our relationship with God. When our very meeting together is to encourage one another to love and good deeds, to encourage one another all the more to do the good works that God has called us to do, to admonish one another, to correct one another, to to walk alongside one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. If you miss out on being here, you miss out on all of that. How are you drawing closer to God? You'll never convince me, ever. So when you miss and you make other things a priority than the meeting together of God's people, please understand you are hurting your relationship with God. You just are. Not my word, that's his. That's why these things are here. And yes, we don't meet on the Sabbath anymore. But we are told to meet together. And for us not to do those things is to break down that relationship with God. Because I can tell you something right now. You find me 50 people who are not going to church, who say that they're a Christian, 48 of them, at least, don't have a stronger relationship than those who are. You won't be the exception. You'll be the rule. The exception is probably in those third world, third world countries or those lockdown countries, those closed countries where the gospel can't be preached. And there's a special grace that God gives those people who are planting the seeds of the gospel and relying upon him who would have community if community existed. Don't take it for granted. Be here on Sundays. Build up your relationship with Christ. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now we make this transition from these first four commandments that have to do with God. And we now move to other people starting in the home. It's not by accident that God begins with the families, the smallest subsection of society. As a matter of fact, this is repeated also in the New Testament. So we look in Ephesians chapter 6, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. God has designed moms and dads to be the authorities over their children for the purpose of raising up godly offspring. So not listening to mom and dad who are trying to follow the Lord. We're not talking about mom and dads who are not trying to follow God or are trying to tell you to contradict the word of God because at that point you listen to God rather than even your parents. But under the whole idea that we're supposed to honor our father and mother, we're supposed to come alongside them, you know, and and say, they want me to do this. If we are not listening to that authority in our life, we will cast off every other authority that's in our life. You guys realize that, right? This is why later on in Deuteronomy, you actually see admonitions 
for parents stoning their own children who will not listen to them. Seems harsh, doesn't it? But somebody who won't listen to mom and dad in important issues that they're trying to keep them safe won't listen to their employer, won't listen to the law, won't listen to other things. And we've seen it. The rebellious attitude that begins in the home where it should be most protected, the home should be most protected, will make its way out into society and you will see those who have a seared conscience who continue to do those things and the only way you deal with that is capital punishment, at least in the Israelite society. This is what God talked about doing. Authority is important to listen to. Children, it may be a cool thing in today's day and age to just backtalk your parents. God doesn't think so. Because if you're backtalking them so easily, you'll find it very easy to disregard God and the authority that he carries and is supposed to carry. Going back to Exodus 20 and verse 13. You shall not murder. We can pretty much agree. We haven't gotten so far yet that we think murder is a bad thing, right? We're not, we're not thinking that murder is a great thing to have for our society, right? It tears apart not just the relationship between the person and the person that they murdered. It tears apart trust in society. If you want to live in a safe society, murders don't go free. And yet what we're seeing in some of our society today is we're seeing exactly that. How are those cities doing right now? Not so good, huh? Because it's torn away the fabric of trust that was supposed to be built up by those who are in authority. This is why God said, do not murder. This is why you will read in the law that those who murder, what's supposed to happen to them? They too are supposed to die. Why are they supposed to die? Because there is a safety for the rest of society. This is not just the Ten Commandments that only deal with God and God alone. It's God and us together in community. Remember, this is 1.5 to 2.5 million people. It's not good to just say, oh, don't murder that person. Oh, he accidentally murdered three people this week. How, you want to get around that person? You going to feel safe in that neighborhood? You guys understand that God is wanting peace for the society, so murder is bad, and therefore the punishment for murder was capital punishment. My own personal views concerning what the Word of God says, capital punishment ought to be in the United States. It really should be. We've done everything we can to get away from it. You know why? Because we don't like the idea that somebody's going to die for their crimes. Has that helped I would dare say it hasn't. I would say it's given license to those who have murder to be able to continue to do so without fearing retribution. See, these commandments don't just tear down our relationship with God, but relationship with others and relationship with society. Next one does the same thing. Shall not commit adultery. This whole idea of wandering eyes and going after somebody else, the grass being greener on the other side, brings the destruction of the family. Anybody who has been a victim of adultery within the context of a marriage 
knows how destructive it can be. Can God put that back together under the grace of Jesus Christ? Yes, he can. But there is a reason why Jesus said this was the only allowance for which divorce could take place. It destroys the very fabric of the intimacy between a husband and wife. It destroys the whole idea of the stability of the home that God wants to establish. It destroys the stability for the children raised in that family. For now they have to choose what's going to happen. Adultery was considered so bad in the Old Testament law that we had stoning to death for those who were caught in adulterous affairs. That's how bad they saw this as a plague upon the society. It is interesting, and I know I've mentioned it recently, and I'll mention it again, that sexual immorality is one of the biggest reasons people walk away from God. Whether it's living together, premarital sex, extramarital affairs, stepping outside the bounds of God's ordained sexuality, whether we're talking about homosexuality or today's transgenderism, all of those things if you participate in them, make you very, very likely that you will drop God for your li- from your life forever. And so we see the rule of why adultery is said, no, you shall not commit adultery. It breaks a covenant promise that God has established between a man and his wife. A covenant promise that he would love her as Christ loves the church. And seeing sexual immorality running rampant in our society is not necessarily anything new in the annals of history, but we blind ourselves to think that it doesn't affect our relationship with one another and with God. Verse 15, you shall not steal. This breaks down the trust of people with one another. Coming into my home and taking something that's fine. We're not talking about a pencil down at, you know, Bank of America when you were writing a check. I forgot to put this back. It's talking about a knowing thing that you're going off and doing for the purpose of taking something for yourself that is not yours. Anybody ever had anything stolen from them? It's a violation, right? It's a violation of trust. And then do you want to be around those people who have stole from you? No. He was like, I don't want anything to do with you. That you would use or abuse me in such a way. This is why theft, especially as we looked at it this week, if you looked at theft, it was oftentimes either two to five times as much the person who stole would have to pay back. Why such a punitive damage? Because it rips the fabric of society. It's why what you're seeing out in California with these laws right now where they can steal up to nearly $1,000 without being uh, prosecuted is such a terrible thing. It's why businesses are fleeing the area. You know why? Because it's destroying the fabric of society that's there. The stealing of property, the destruction of property, which is just stealing by destroying And somehow claiming, but they have insurance, doesn't make it better. You feel more safe just because you have insurance and you can cover your butt? 
Nope, because it's not about that. This is to have a just and righteous society. Going to the next one, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Shouldn't lie to people. All of us have lied. Would you guys agree? How many of you have lied? Raise your hand. All right, so we've all done false testimony, and it creates a rip of trust within our families and our friends and whoever we've lied to in order for us to get ahead, look better, whatever it is. But when it, a lie becomes the thing in which society glorifies because it's all about getting ahead, we can see the destruction of society happening. We can see that in America right now. I hate to say it, there are too many lies that are being spoken out as truth to our generation. We see it in the media all the time. It used to be the media cared about truth. Now they don't. They care about their agenda. I don't care right or left. I'm just saying it's just the agenda. Getting my point across. When truth means nothing, society is on its downward spiral because now lies have become noble. And nobody feels safe when lies are noble. And then finally, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a society that is built upon coveting. Every commercial is to get you to desire their product. I got to have it. Every single time you go to the grocery store and you hear that three-year-old pitching a fit, some of you had to deal with that this week. I'm sorry. You know what that is? That's coveting. That's all it is. It's, it's placing my happiness, my contentment, my joy, all in this object that if I don't have it, I'm going to do that. And you know what? Adults were just as bad as the three-year-olds. Our fits just look different. You know, I want to have blank. Or we look at, you know, what somebody has accumulated and we're jealous because we don't have the boat or the truck or we've never had a new car or, you know, whatever it might be. Even though we have been well provided for, that our contentment should be in Christ. And if we have food in our belly and clothes on our back, according to the word of God, which I can point out in uh, Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 6, which I can point out... uh, Paul saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if I can point out in James chapter 2 where he alludes to that, to a brother who's in need in chapter 2, all of them say the same thing. And it has to do with food in your belly, clothes on your back, and we will be content. And you know what? As Christians, we are terrible at this. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with good stuff and new stuff and all that. But we have made our happiness, both in our churches and in our personal lives, about the things that we have. Because we bought into the lies of the culture that coveting is good. And it's not. It ruins contentment. I am so blessed. I have never gone without, ever. I have always had a roof over my head, which I'm not even promised I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had clothes on my back. I've always had food in my belly. Always, 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 I should be content. And to be less than that is to be coveting. It's to place our joy in something other than Christ. 
See, it's 10 commandments that we look at. That's why I want to point out to you guys, these 10 commandments, these rules, right, are not our relationship with Christ. But by breaking these rules, by breaking these 10 commandments, we profoundly affect it. You know, it's so interesting. After the whole 10 commandments are given and further commandments that are extrapolated from that, that God brings forth. In chapter 24, this, this is the heart of God behind the law that's taken place. So let's take a look at chapter 24 real quick. And then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at, my, at the distance, but Moses alone is to approach the, uh, the Lord. The others must not, must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate, and they drank. See, the heart of the law was to preserve a relationship they had with God. And the blood of the covenant, think about what just happened. We will obey everything God has said. And they are thrown with the blood of the covenant that splattered onto the people that absolutely represents the blood of Jesus Christ. only thing that makes you and us worthy is not because of our worth, but because of what he's done for us. And the blood of the sacrifice that is there, guess what? Then they go up and they're in the presence of God. And God, as a result of it, doesn't strike them down. They're covered by the blood of the covenant. And they have agreed to obey all that God has commanded. Isn't that very similar to what we're called to do in making disciples? What we're called to do in making disciples is to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Why? Because we have a relationship with Christ. And when we read the word of God in that framework of relationship we see the rules of God in a different light not as something that we have to keep to have a relationship but rather something that we want to keep so we don't ruin the relationship we have 
That's a big difference because there's a whole movement right now of deconstructionism that's out there who have replaced the rules of God by only interpreting the rules as the relationship. Well, I don't want to follow those rules. And so they want to do those things that break the covenant of God and destroy their relationship with God while trying to proclaim that they have one with God at the same time. You begin to understand why these things are so important and put them in the right perspective. The rules of God are not our relationship with Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, those rules broken affect that relationship with Christ. It's why the Ten Commandments are given. It's why you and I need to go back and find out, are we putting things before God? We need to take that day's worth of challenge. I don't know what day you're going to do it, but I really hope you do it. Because it will open your eyes to how much you've affected your relationship with Christ based upon things of this world that have taken precedence over Christ. You don't even know it. I don't even know it. But it's the truth. These are here to help preserve our relationships with God and with one another in community and shouldn't be looked down upon because they happen to be rules that we're following. The rules are not the relationships, but they do affect the relationship we have with God. Make no mistake. Do you stand with me? My prayer is that today, you maybe see the Ten Commandments in a different light than maybe you ever have before. Not just as rules. Although they are that. But understand that they're protections for our relationship with, with Christ, with God. And if you find yourself in need of saying, hey, I've got I've to switch some of this, my thinking up on this. Maybe I need to start coming to church because I'm perfecting my relationship with God. Maybe I need to start putting my, my smartphone away or at least when I catch myself scrolling, I need to be reading the word of God so I can build on my relationship with Jesus so this doesn't become an idol in my life. Maybe I should rethink some of the things that I have valued in this society and make sure that my contentment is found in Christ and Christ alone. If that is you, we just invite you to come up and pray. You know what? You're with other people who need to make those same adjustments. My name is Jeremy Bannister. And I struggle with these same things. I need a deeper relationship with Christ. I need to stop bowing down to the idols of this age. I need to stop being distracted by things that will draw me away from Christ so that I can have a strong relationship with him. I need to stop doing those things that harm my relationship with Jesus because the rules are not the relationship, but boy, they sure do affect it that's you we just invite you to come down as a fellow sinner pray for these things before the Lord be brought back in right relationship with him walk out in joy coveting nothing but him that's my prayer for you today do you pray with me God thank you for our time together I just pray in the name of Jesus 
you will help us understand that your rules, your Ten Commandments, these things that are there are not our relationship with you, but they profoundly affect it. God, that you have sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for that, Lord. But God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, if we have made idols and gods of other things in this world and have harmed our relationship with you because we have regarded them above you, God. We ask, Lord, that you would accept our humble repentance right now in those things and toward others, dear Heavenly Father. If we've broken faith through any of these commands that you have placed, Lord, we repent before you and we pray that you will help us amend those relationships that have been affected by our sin, Lord. And help us to regard Jesus above all. That we may share of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Help us not to be confused between the rules and the relationships but to understand that there is a correlation between the two. And we need to, we need to pay attention. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.